Christmas um, is full of questions, is it not? Lots and lots of questions. Let me give you a few questions that are related to Christmas. What do you want for Christmas? That's a Christmas question, right? And some of you, probably some of you younger people, maybe even the ones that just left our uh, building here, have a huge list answering that question. Here's another question. Have you been good or bad? Uh huh. Don't have to answer out loud. You don't have to nudge or anything like that. But have you been good or bad? That's part of our cultural Christmas question, right? Um, here's another one. What is the return policy in this store, right? It's another question that is commonly asked. Would you like a gift receipt with that might be another one. So, I mean, you know, Christmas has its own unique questions. Now, obviously that's cultural and, and we're having some fun, but um, there are some questions that, that flow out of the Christmas text that uh, are worth at least um, noting uh, a little bit. So Christmas is full of questions as we as we just mentioned, all right? Some are silly and cultural, but there are some that are just unique to the Christmas texts of Scripture. Um, and, and there's just a few that I want to highlight here. Um, Zechariah asks a question to the angel Gabriel regarding the birth of, of John. How, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Uh, a good question. A good question that flows out of, you know, this, this Christmas text. Mary then to the angel Gabriel says, how shall this be since I am a virgin? Again, a very good question in the context of what's going on. Another question is the wise men asking Herod, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Again, a key question from the, the, the Christmas text. Another one is a little bit more subtle. Herod, um, we're, we're not actually told of his specific question, but he does gather his wise men together to ask them. And, and the importance of these questions has to do with the fact that Christmas is such a marvelous revelation of God's favor toward mankind. It's not some small event. It is a significant event that took place. And, and just think about it, 400 years of silence, and all of a sudden, God breaks in and his son is born, the one that we, are, that we call, and was called in the Old Testament, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the prince of peace, the everlasting father. His birth is for us a joyous occasion. It is a joyous occasion in the history of the church. It is a joyous occasion in the history of mankind. Because it is only through this son, this birth, that mankind can possibly even think about or contemplate full reconciliation with God. Now, just, just listen to Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. Again, you, I'm sure you know this passage. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. God had his timing. God had his plan. And it wasn't just the birth of Jesus, it was also the birth of Jesus that had uh, a significant purpose. So the birth of Jesus was the earthly beginning of what the Godhead had determined before the creation of the world. 
And here are some words that may describe that purpose. Redemption, reconciliation, restoration, renewal, regeneration. These are all words that describe what ultimately this little baby came to do. And friends, that is what the gift of Christmas is really all about. It isn't simply about a child in a manger. It is about that. That is a significant part of the story of Christmas, but it's what that child ultimately comes to do. Because if we separate Christmas from the whole story of redemption, we don't have the whole picture. It is not as glorious. It is not as joyful. Okay? God sent his son to this earth for a reason and for a purpose. And ultimately, it is redemption, reconciliation, restoration, renewal, regeneration, and other words that we could throw in there too. So it's fitting for our purposes that we are in John's gospel in chapter 3. It just worked out that way. It wasn't my skill as a pastor carving things out and making sure we hit this time. Just sitting back and saying, okay, Lord, this is what you had planned. Isn't that great? And we are now in this chapter looking at the subject of the new birth, which is the ultimate reason why Jesus came to this earth as a little baby, to go to a cross Having died on the cross for the sins of mankind, he makes it possible then for we who put our faith and trust in him and what he has accomplished on that cross, he makes it possible then for for new life. And in that belief and in that faith, regeneration takes place. A born-again experience takes place. This is new life. This is the, the beauty of ultimately what Jesus came to do. And so... Uh, we, we saw last week some of the things that, that uh, uh, were revealed to uh, Nicodemus on the subject of regeneration. If you remember, uh, we saw in this, this, these three pictures that uh, John gave, or Jesus gave here that the Spirit um, is also comes with water. And the whole idea there was cleansing. The Holy Spirit cleanses us. Secondly, we saw the spirit in the flesh, and if you remember, the idea was that the Holy Spirit then is certainly spiritual. It's not, it's not natural. It's not human. It's certainly something from above. So this, the spirit is, is working from heaven. The spirit cleanses us, but also we saw that uh, this, the spirit uh, um, illustrated with, with wind. And the idea was there that you don't always necessarily see the wind, but you certainly see the effects of that wind. And so the Spirit cleanses, it is certainly from above, but the Spirit is, is seen by its effects in the hearts and the lives of people. And so when Jesus explains to Nicodemus those truths, and in particular so that um, he can see and he can enter the kingdom of God, he doesn't comprehend it. He doesn't comprehend what it means to be born again. And so this is where we find ourselves now as we begin our time in this text in verse 9. And notice what, G, what Nicodemus says. He says, how can these things be? Now, I think we could say, you know, if that was us talking to him, we might be frustrated. Um, we don't know. There's nothing in this text that tells us that Jesus was frustrated or angry or anything like that. I think, I think Jesus was purposefully dealing with a man that we would identify as being a superficial religious person and he's working patiently to show him his emptiness and how much he really doesn't know to get him to the place that he can say, hmm, 
how can these things be? It really is mind-boggling to think about. See, most of us here have the advantage of either having grown up in the church or been a believer for a while that a passage like this is pretty familiar to us. And because it's familiar to us, we say, well, yeah, we, we have an idea of what that means. But for someone who was, you know, in the context of, of uh, you know, Old Testament Judaism and, and the kind of Judaism that was present during the times of, of Christ that had added and multiplied things outside and above and beyond the Old Testament guidelines, what Jesus says is just like, I, I don't comprehend it. I don't see that necessarily. And um, so his, his blindness is certainly understandable, and yet he is responsible, even though he is blind to see what he has to say. So I, I definitely see here that that when he asks the question, how can these things be? I, I think this is a genuine question. I think he's at his place where he has literally hit a brick wall in his attempt to understand, in his uh, ability to, to kind of comprehend things. He is the, the natural person or the natural man of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, this natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. He can't comprehend it. He can't see it. He is also, as we mentioned uh, last week and I just mentioned earlier, he really is that superficial believer who is, who is taken up with, with the miracles and the teaching of Jesus but hasn't come to the place to see Jesus as the Messiah and the one who's come not to overthrow Rome necessarily, but to provide total and complete salvation through his death on the cross. So in kindness, and I think with a gentle rebuke, Jesus gives him an honest answer. And that's really the rest of our text today, is Jesus' honest answer. First, we will deal with um, uh, an answer that is directed at Nicodemus and ultimately humanity in general. And then we're going to look at um, an answer that really attends to the activity and the plan of heaven in bringing regeneration to mankind. So let's look first of all then at this, this, this first part of the answer, and I'm calling it this. There's, there's a problem of human ignorance. Now, I don't mean to use that expression in a pejorative sense. I'm not saying, hey, you bunch of ignoramuses, all right? Although, well, we'll stop there, all right? Um, th there is a problem of human ignorance, and friends, we have all been under its umbrella. And to some degree, we are all still under that umbrella. Let me explain myself as we go through here. The reality is that without God, we have no understanding of life. We try to comprehend it. We try and put some things together so that it seems to make sense, but it doesn't. And if, you've, if you studied philosophy at all, you will study some crazy thinking as to why man exists and what the purpose of life is. Without God's help, Without his assistance, we do not comprehend why we exist, what our purpose is, what we have been created to do or to be. 
We cannot understand who God is. That God has created us uniquely as revelation receivers. And we know this. And as revelation receivers, he's breathed out his word. And in breathing out his word, he is teaching us about who he is, what he has done, and how we are to relate to him. This past week, um, I had to change a light bulb in our Chevy Astrovan. Now, you have to understand, when it comes to cars, I know how to put gas in. I can find a few of the, the little dipsticks, and I have to be reminded as to which one's which as I kind of go through. And so I am not Mr. Car Savvy, and at the same time, I can, I can figure things out. And um, so I, you know, I went out to, to look at this, this headlamp and all that kind of stuff, and and, you know, I was like, uh, I could probably be here for hours trying to figure out what am I supposed to unscrew because there's a whole bunch of things to screw and unscrew and, you know, or little things that I'm supposed to unclip or not unclip or whatever. So I went to a resource where I knew I could find an answer. It's called the Internet. I typed in Chevy Astrovan, you know, front light bulb change. Boom. Instructions. Now, even with the instructions, it's like, well, did they mean this? And did they mean this? And did they mean this? You know, but I went out, followed the instructions, boom, put the bulb in, made sure I had the grease in there too, that, you know, I'm supposed to do it right, and put it in there. And, you know, and then I turned the car on to see if it works. It's like, yeah, I did it, right? Now, left to myself, I would have been taking a long, long time. Either that, I would call Chris. And he would come and help me, and he'd know how to do it. Just a second, right? So and that's just, that's where we're at. Now listen, life is like that. We attempt, we think, this is how it's to be done. And God is the one who is our resource to give us perspective and understanding. Without him, we really are ignorant. Without him, we're there day after day after day after day after day trying to fix a light bulb, okay? But he has given us his word. He's, he's breathed it out. It's the same word that he gave Israel through Moses and the prophets. It's the same word that he gave through David and Solomon and others. It's the same word that Nicodemus had, the Old Testament canon, that he is to be the teacher of for Israel. It is the word of God. But as we saw last time, Nicodemus was blinded by his religion so that he couldn't even see what was there in that word. Now friends, it's even possible for we who are part of the true body of Christ to allow ourselves to have our cultural Christianity blind us to what God's Word says. Now, it may not be an issue of salvation, but it sure could be an issue of living rightly before God because we just are not willing to accept what the Word of God says, or Christian culture has diluted it so that it isn't as significant or as purposeful as what God actually intends it to be. Now, notice the, 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 the rebuke that Jesus gives. Jesus answers him in verse 10, Are you the teacher of Israel and, you do not, um, and yet you do not understand these things? You have the truth, the word of God, but you still don't 
believe. You say, we know, that was from verse 2, but you are truly ignorant and you need help. So verse 11 comes along, truly, truly, I say to you, we who seek or speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Now, there is some discussion as to what is the we going on here. Jesus is speaking in, in, this, you know, in this plural. Um, there's a couple of different views on that, just, just to kind of help you through this. Some, some believe it's talking about John the Baptist, the disciples, and Jesus. So when Jesus says we, he's including the disciples, John the Baptist, and himself. I don't necessarily think that's true because we've seen that the disciples are still struggling. They still haven't quite comprehended things. Okay? Um, some um, think that this is, this is really in reference to um, the Godhead. In other words, they're finding the Trinity in here in some way, shape, or form. And, and, I, and I don't think it's exclusively talking about, you know, here's the Trinity. I, I do think he's answering a we in response to Nicodemus's we, because Nicodemus says the we kind of as a, a statement of authority. And so Jesus comes back and says, well, you know, we, you know, we, we say the same thing. So it's kind of a statement of authority, although I think you could probably include the Godhead there, but I wouldn't go to this passage to prove the Trinity. You with me there? So there's kind of this, 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 this authority of, of we, and it's kind of a, uh, it's kind of a, uh, a tool of language to kind of emphasize, listen, this is really important. We have come, we've spoken, we bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Now, remember, John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, evidence or testimony that leads to belief, right? Leads to life. We have done what? We speak of what we know, we bear testimony of what we've seen, but you don't, do not receive our testimony. We've given you the evidence, we're showing you the evidence, but you're not receiving it. You're not believing it. Okay? So Jesus is speaking of what he knows, what he's spoken, what he's seen, but they're not receiving. Let's put it in, in different terms here. Saying the same thing as this. Here is the truth, the evidence of the word of God, but it does you no good unless you receive it as uh, true and believe it by faith. Now you have a Bible. This does you no good unless you actually read it and believe it by faith. So, Jesus goes on and explains that since you, Nicodemus, cannot understand even the elementary truths, and those elementary truths I would take to be this, this whole idea of being born again. It's, a, it's an earthly reality. Let's read the passage, verse 12. If I have told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? It's not that being born again is a heavenly thing. It certainly is rooted in heaven as we saw last week, but it is something that takes place here. It is something that has been uh, has been. Uh, determined by the Godhead to be an experience that his children uh, have while they are here on this earth. Jesus came to this earth, and ultimately to those who believe in him, who put their faith in him, he then brings this regeneration, brings this new birth. It's an earthly reality that has a source from heaven. Okay, So if you can't even comprehend these, these earthly things, how, how can we even go on 
you can't understand the elementary things, how can we take you to the more mature things? If you can't learn the alphabet, how can we teach you words and concepts and all that kind of stuff? Right? That's, that's the idea here. Verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So the, the reality is that Nicodemus needs help. He needs divine help. He needs someone who has already been in heaven to be able to communicate to him and to share with him and to teach him what the spiritual truths are. There's only one person that can do that. And that is the person that he's speaking to, and that is Jesus. Now, the problem of man's ignorance is solved by two realities that are at work together. We've touched on them as we've gone through these few verses, but I want to kind of bring them together here. Okay? Um, the first one is the Word of God. The Word of God. Um, the Word of God is what we need to show us what God has said. Um, without the Word of God, all we have is what is called general knowledge or general revelation that is given to us through creation. Here's just one verse of Scripture, Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. So creation is there to proclaim the glories of God, but in a general sense. They, they, they demonstrate that, that there is a God who exists, who is, who is over all, but it's limited in its ability to get down to the specifics of the, like the attributes of God and who He is and what He's like and what He desires from us. And so although that general declaration means that everyone is accountable to God, God has further disclosed himself through what we call special knowledge or special revelation in the form of his word. Now his word was breathed out uh, by holy men of God over the course of 1,500 years. Listen to what Peter says, 2 Peter 1.21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men from, uh, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, so God, we call this inspired, that means breathed out. He breathed out like these, these ships would be on the ocean, and these ships would represent you know, man, this, this, these men who are writing. God is you know, he's breathing out. He is breathing out his word through the personality of these individuals, and ultimately he, uh, through that, uh, has established for us his word. Now listen, he did that because we need it. It was a gift on his part to bestow to us or to give to us his word so that we could comprehend who God is. We could comprehend what he's like. We could comprehend what he desires and what he longs for and, and how we are to relate to him. That is a gift to us. Otherwise, we'd be kind of walking around thinking, okay, there, there is a God out there, but I don't know how to relate to him. I don't know what he desires. I don't know what... He's gifted us. So the, the Word of God is something that we desperately need. But listen, having the Bible is good, but it's not enough. Because you can have the Bible. In fact, there's a lot of 
There's a lot of shelves around the world that have a Bible sitting on it, right? There's a lot of shelves that have that Bible, and that Bible may not even be removed from that shelf. And there's a lot of homes where that Bible might be pulled out, maybe even pulled out during Christmas. Maybe even the Christmas story is read, but it's read as a piece of historical literature. It's not read as the breathed-out Word of God for His people. So what we need, along with the Word of God, is also the Spirit of God, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who is at work in us. And when the Holy Spirit regenerates, when, when new birth takes place, one of the dynamics of the Holy Spirit is to illumine is to make known the Word of God. It is no longer a piece of literature. It is something that is living and breathing and active, which means it is, it's not just something that I, I read and say, oh, isn't that nice? It's something that I read and say, oh, I'm feeling convicted, or oh, I'm being blessed, or I'm encouraged, or, or I am feeling sustained, or God is, is shaping and teaching me. That comes as a result of the ministry of the Holy Spirit at work in us. So we need the Word of God desperately, but we also need the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And this is what, what was going on, I think, with Nicodemus. As you go through the story, Jesus is saying, you must be born again. And as you go on in the, in the Gospels, in particular in John's Gospels, you'll find natural things and natural circumstances that Jesus speaks into and what he's doing is he's speaking into those things and, and making them spiritual realities. We've already seen one, but there's others that we can see. Um, for example, he's, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And he says that when? Right after he's fed a whole bunch of people. Now, he's not saying literally, I am bread. You know, I'm made up of yeast. and That's not what he's saying. It is a spiritual, symbolic truth that helps us understand who he is, what he does, how he satisfies. He is also, a little bit later, he says, I am the living water. He's not saying that he is literally H2O. All right, he's using something natural, but he's, he's, he's talking about it in spiritual terms. But in order for us to understand the spiritual we not only need the Word of God, but we need the Spirit of God to make that real to us. And so Nicodemus is stuck in the tangible, in the, the natural, and he's struggling to understand the spiritual. And so we are, we are helpless without God's provision of His Word and His Spirit's work in our lives. Now you may be asking this question. Well, how do I know that God's Spirit is at work in me through his word? It's a good question. Let me just give you just a few short answers to that. It's probably a whole other message, but here are some things I think are helpful. Simply put, I think you will have a hunger and a thirst for his word. So to answer the question, how do I know that God's spirit is at work in me through his word? There, there will be a hunger, there will be a thirst for that word. Now, I don't know about you, but there are days when there are, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm so busy doing maybe, you know, school things that, that uh, 
you know, I, I haven't picked up the word of God. And, and there's, a, there's a desire and there's a longing and there's a, there's a need just to kind of sit down and say, God, I, I, I need to be washed by the water of your word. I, I need to be in it. I need to, to go to that place. Friends, that's, that's a very important um, response that we should have, or at least that would evidence whether or not the word of God is at work um, in our lives. Secondly, I would say, as you, as you read the Word of God, you will, you will have the experience that you are being fed. Now, if, if you're reading the Word of God and it just doesn't seem like you're being fed, it's kind of like sitting down at this big banquet and eating and eating and saying, man, just, it's not doing anything for me. Now, I'm not saying that it needs to be something you know, magical and you should feel tingly and all that kind of stuff. But as you read God's word, you're going to be encouraged. You're going to be strengthened. You're going to be motivated. You're going to be counseled. You're going to be guided. You're going to be comforted by it, see? It's not just some textbook. It is living. It's breathing. It's active. It's sharp. It penetrates. So as you're reading, you, you do experience times of conviction. You do contemplate and you do think about it and, and remind yourself of it throughout the day and and, and, and it affects you. And as you think about it, you're saying, you know, I need to, I need to stop this, or I need to say this, or I need to, to move in this direction. So the Word of God is so critically important, but it, it cannot really be separated from the ministry of the Spirit of God. Both of those are working together, and ultimately that's what, that's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. Listen, you don't know, and what you need is you need help. And you need for someone to reveal the truth to you. So, that being true, let's look at the second point. There was a problem of human ignorance. Now there's a provision of divine intent. God has provided the answer to Nicodemus and for us and for mankind and his answer is not like, well, let me see, Nicodemus. Let me try and come up with an answer. No, this answer was already in play. This, this answer began before the creation of the world. It was already outlined. It was already part of the blueprint of what God was going to do. And so we have this laid out for us uh, really in, in, in three forms, and each one having to do with each person of the Trinity. So here's the first one. The lifting up of the sun. Look at verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, first of all, let's just remind ourselves, he's, Jesus here is using the expression the Son of Man. It is a favorite term of his, but he says here the Son of Man must be lifted up. And if you remember uh, this expression, the Son of Man, comes uh, initially from Daniel chapter 7. And uh, the whole idea there is that this, this prince, um, this one who is, is over, um, over all and has been given dominions, um, he ultimately is this Son of Man. Okay? And so it's, it's a regal title, and it is certainly a, a title of, of, uh, of God, or of, of Jesus Christ who is God. But secondly, we, we at chapter 1 of, of John's Gospel, we saw right at the end this whole picture of Jacob's ladder, if you remember, being talked about 
and, and identified with and connected with the Son of Man. And we identified there that the idea of the word Son of Man or expression Son of Man, yes, had to do with his, his divinity, but it had to do with his mediatorial position, his responsibility as a mediator for us between heaven and earth, between God and man. There needed to be a mediator. If you remember, Jesus was the son of Joseph, his humanity. He was the son of God, his divinity. He's the son of man. He's the mediator between God and man. Okay? So, just first of all, note here as Jesus is talking about himself, he's identifying himself as this mediator, but what does this mediator do? Well, this mediator ultimately is going to be lifted up. And this whole idea of being lifted up, he's going back to an Old Testament event, a wilderness event, and it's found in Numbers chapter 21. You want to turn there, please. Numbers chapter 21, and we'll read verses 4 through 8. I think this is really helpful when when Jesus actually goes back to an Old Testament um, picture. It helps us see how Jesus even is using the Old Testament to identify himself and to show how the Old Testament does point to who he is. So here we are in uh, Numbers 21. We'll begin at verse 4, and let's read this story together. From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord, against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. This is what he's pointing back to. So Jesus entered this sinful world in order to be lifted up on a cross like this serpent lifted up on this pole to bear the curse of our sins, or I should say that our sins deserve. Now the way of salvation is not, it's not through self-improvement, it's not through some human endeavor. The way of salvation is simply by looking to Jesus as the sacrifice for your sin, and by faith believing in his sacrifice as sufficient payment of the debt that sets you free. Now, in short, we could say it's this. Look and live. I remember when I was younger, and probably in the hymn books, there's a song called Look and Live. You know, look to Jesus now and live. You guys probably remember the song. Um, you know, this is the idea. The idea here is that Jesus is like is like this, this story here where, where people are in sin, they're guilty of their sin, but there is a solution that is provided, and that solution is for this, this serpent to be lifted up on a pole. Well, that's certainly a picture of Jesus being lifted up and put on a cross. And to look to Jesus and to look 
at that cross means to embrace the significance and the impact of all that was accomplished on that cross for you because of his death, because of his sacrifice. Now, it's, it's very important that we, we get these two things together. It says the Son of Man must be lifted up. And Jesus earlier said, you must be born again. These are two parts of the package, so to speak, of regeneration, of conversion. Let's put it a little differently. Because Jesus died for our sins, we can be born again. This is what God did, but you need to respond. Here's what he has accomplished, but you need to receive. Here is what took place on the cross, but you need to respond by faith and trust in him. It's all God's doing. It's all his, his activity, but you as an individual still need to respond. And what happens is this regeneration, this new life is breathed into us, and ultimately God's children do respond. So through faith in the Son of Man lifted up, sinners gain eternal life. Now, a very important question here. Have you put your faith in this divine sacrifice? Now, I, I, I know that we probably look around this room. We've been in home groups together. We've been in small groups together. We've fellowshiped together. But listen, it is perfectly right for us to ask that question and to allow that to, to settle on our heart and to ponder that. You say, well, it's so elementary, and I've been baptized, and I've gone through all these different things. I know, I know, I know. But we cannot assume anything, and I want you to be careful that you don't just go on being religious when the gospel is laid out for you. Now, you and I need to look up to Jesus for new life, but we also need to look up to Jesus to live life. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Now you know Hebrews 11 in particular is the passage that we call the hall of faith, right? It's that passage that just talks about by faith, so-and-so did such-and-such, and so-and-so did such-and-such, right? So Hebrews chapter 11 um, is, is the, the chapter that's right before this. But uh, I think what we see in, in chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 is important for us to note here too. Just Just... Think carefully about what the writer of Hebrews here is saying specifically based on what we've already looked at today. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and I would say all of those, all of those in chapter 11 are, are evidence, 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 evidence for us. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There is an upward look for we who are God's children to see him lifted up. He's lifted up on that cross and the accomplishment of the cross is still affecting all of us who are his children today. And that's why, friends, we need the gospel every day. 
That is why we say we exist to glorify God. How? By knowing and applying and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you and I need to look to Jesus every day, looking up, looking up as we're running this race, as we are encumbered by these sins and these, these struggles that we have. We need to look up. We need to see out of this, this fog and see him regal and on his throne, but at the same time, having accomplished what he's accomplished on the cross. So the first answer to the question, how can these things be, is look to the Son of Man who is lifted up on the cross as the sacrifice for your sins. By faith, believing that he died in your place and paid the debt for your sin. Now we're going to move on to the next one, which is the love of the Father. We saw the lifting up of the Son, but now we look at the love of the Father, and this is verses 16 through verse 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now, you know, as, as much as John 3.16 is well known, um, John 17 oftentimes is misquoted or not quoted completely. You may have heard people in the world or even in the church say the following, God did not send his son into the world to condemn. How dare you talk to me about my sin? God is not a condemning God. He's a loving God, see? For God so loved the world. Well, the, the, the easiest answer there is just, just read, right? Read what it says. Read the context. And I think it's important that we, we read from verse 18 back. Verse 18. For whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe, what? Is condemned already. In other words, con condemnation is the already existing nature and character and end for man apart from God, right? And so God stepping into the picture and sending his son in the form of a baby and taking on mankind and living his life and going to a cross all of that is part of God's love. Not to condemn, but to save, to redeem, to restore, to reconcile. So this is the state of mankind. And that's what makes up the world that Jesus is talking about. Now listen, if you look around the world, um, there are so many good things to enjoy, are there not? Um, beautiful sights. I like, you know, standing above the valley in Yosemite. You guys ever done that before? I mean, very few places you can go do something like that. Now, just don't stand too close to the edge, but it is an amazing sight, whether you're up on top or whether you're in the bottom looking up or one of those waterfalls that is there. It's absolutely stunning. It's amazing. We have the, the most beautiful part of God's creation right here in the Bay Area. I think also the, you know, looking at the redwoods at Muir Woods or other places around in the Bay Area, it's just stunning to look up and you're just like, Ugh, you know, 
and you feel so small. And so, so, you know, visually, there's so many beautiful things, beautiful sights. There's, there's also wonderful smells. Now, just stay with me here for a little bit, okay? In, in coming out to the Bay Area, if you've grown up here, you take it for granted, I'm sure. But the, the natural odors that come out of the vegetation here in California, in particular here in the Bay Area, are really beautiful. We, we, I remember the first time I drove um, up 2nd Street, if you know where I'm going here, down campus, drive up toward Cal State. It was Hayward then, but go, going down there, and I had my windows down, it was summer, and I just took in this, this aroma, and it was all from the trees. Some of it was a eucalyptus kind of a smell, and some of it was from other trees, but it was just, it was a beautiful aroma. Whereas other places I live, the only time you really smell anything is after it rains, right? Which is actually a good, clean smell, but it's coming out here. There's some beautiful, I mean, just wonderful things to smell. We're talking about good things, okay? We can think about the other things other times, right? There are also some, some glorious sounds. Now, you don't think about this too much. But how many of you enjoy going to the ocean? And just... Just, just close your eyes and taking in the sounds of, of the waves and seagulls and you know it's just it really is beautiful. Um, amazing textures to touch. Mud. Right? I mean mud. And then contrast that with soft wool. Hopefully after the mud's been taken off your hands, right? Um, Velcro. I mean, just the various te- textures that are out there. It's just, it's amazing that God's given us just the ability to, to experience life in all these different ways. And then there's the, there's, you know, there's the sense of, of tasting, right? Mouth-watering taste that we experience, like, like a red curry beef. Oh, right? Mmm, absolutely. Black licorice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Grande coffee with room for cream and one equal. Yeah, all right? And you can add to your list of things there too. I mean, there's just, there's so many great tastes. Now, listen, the, the world that we are living in is a fallen, cursed world, but it still has a lot of beauty to it, right? Not everything in it is, is horrible. Um, and yet, even though that is true, with all the joys of the blessings that God has given us, um, this world is in trouble. It is, um, it is not getting better by human efforts. What does it say? Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. In Noah's day, listen to how it's described. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his hearts was only evil continually. Now just go to the mall today and see if this is true or not. You say, well, how, how could it be at the mall? Well, just drive around the parking lot. You'll, you'll experience a lot of evil continually, <laughs> right? I mean, just, it's, it's naturally there. It's just, it's just, it's, it's, it's there. The world has not gotten better over time. Listen, we have new technology, but we have the same problems with greater ability to sin. It hasn't gotten better. 
We think we've gotten more sophisticated. We think that we know, but we don't. We're blind. And God in heaven looks down at this world with an attitude of love. It's an attitude of compassion. It's an attitude of pity. Um, It is general in the sense of it is compassion and pity to all. Um, It is specific in the sense, I should say limited in the sense, that it only ultimately benefits those who believe. I do think there's a sense in which we can say that God does love the world. because Scripture says God loves the world. But his love here is limited by how we respond. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would, have, uh, would not perish but have everlasting life. So there's a subset that that love ultimately benefits that subset. It's not that, oh, God loves the world and everyone is accepted and brought in. No, 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 no. There is a, there is a love that goes out to mankind. There's a grace, there's a goodness that is general that, that all people experience. They, they all get rained on. They all experience growth in their crops. They, they all experience maybe a bonus check or whatever, followers of God or not. They experience joy. They have, they have happiness maybe in the family. They, they're able to experience successes and stuff. But, but the, the real love, the extended love, the kind of love that, that changes lives is unique to those who are God's followers. He didn't come to condemn the world. No, he came to redeem, to save them through the sacrifice of the lifted up son. And friends, that's, that's, a, that's God loving. Now, some people in this world are angry with God because of the conditions around the world, famine, hunger, poverty, war, abuse, and all those things. And they say, why doesn't God do something about this world? What's the answer? He has. <laughs> he has. He has sent his son. His son came to this earth. His son went to a cross. The problem is mankind left to himself does not comprehend the significance of the cross. Does not comprehend that Jesus was, was not simply a nice prophet, a, a wise prophet, or a, 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 you know, uh, the kind of uh, um, liberator that, that helped those who were poor and struggling. He is the Son of God who came to give His life as a ransom. And He died to provide free access to God. Now, now listen, friends, the problem here is mankind doesn't want to believe that. cannot comprehend that. Why? Well, man ultimately is in, is in darkness. So there's the lifting up of the sun. There's the love of the Father. And finally, there is the illumination of the Spirit. You could even say the light of the Spirit. Let's notice verse 19. It says, and this is the judgment. Well, what's the judgment? The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen 
that his works have been carried out in God. Let's just think through this a little bit. When Jesus was in the world, he was the light. But now he's gone, right? And it is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to put the light on display through his word for all to see. And that's why I say here, it's the illumination of the Spirit, even though in our text, ultimately, it is Jesus sitting right across from Nicodemus who's saying, I'm the light. I'm the one here that you need to listen to. This light has, has, has shined into the darkness. But now that Jesus is gone, it is this ministry of the Holy Spirit to shine the light of Christ through the pages of God's Word. Now, Peter sums it up very well. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23 it says this, Since you have been born again, ah, there's that word or that expression, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. So he's connecting now, here is this born again expression, this new life that Jesus was telling Nicodemus about. But Peter is now saying that new life comes as a result of the Word of God. Ultimately comes as a result of the Holy Spirit's activity in ministering through the Word of God, shining the light into the hearts of men. That's the source. That's where it came from, according to, to Peter here. So the light of Christ is shining any time and every time the Word of God is put on display. When it's read, when it's preached, when you witness it, People are born again because the Holy Spirit shines the Word of God in their hearts. Now, Jesus also tells his disciples, this would be John chapter 16 and verse 13 of the following, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit comes along, and his, his goal is to put Jesus on display, is to point to him. His ministry is to point to him and to, to focus our attention on Christ and what he has done and who he is and, and how we are in him and all those things that, that kind of relate to our walk with him. Now, there's a sober reality that we must see in verses 19 through 21. And this sober reality is really this. Although God loves the world, although Jesus is lifted up on a cross to suffer in our place, although the Holy Spirit is at work declaring the light of Christ, many will not believe. Right? That's what it says. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their works are evil. Now, even when the light shines brightly, people will reject it. People will love their wickedness and darkness more than the light. It's not that the light isn't strong enough. If only God would shine brighter. He doesn't need to shine brighter. Light is light. It's full, complete, total, maxed out light. He has done everything necessary. But man, some man, do not want to come to the light. Why? Because of their wickedness. They love 
darkness. Also, because people would rather attempt to hide from God than come to the light and have their sin exposed. Now, friends, this, you know, this is something for us to be mindful of. Let's just, let's just make sure that we remind ourselves that we are a gathered group of believers who also struggle with sin. Anyone here fit into that category? This is audience participation time. Let's just be honest. Anyone fit in that category? Believer, but you still struggle with sin, okay? So, as believers who struggle with sin, yes, we need to recognize it, but not just say, yeah, well, okay, you know, we struggle with sin, but to honestly take on the mantle of this is a battle, this is a challenge, this is a struggle, and not feel like we have to kind of put on this display that we're squeaky clean, because we all know that you're not. Right? We're not. We all struggle. And we all struggle, and yet at the same time, many times we don't even want our sin to be revealed by the light. Because we love our darkness. Now, we may be God's children, but we, we still love those things that we love, and we don't want His Word to have any way, and so we, we just hide that one area in our life away from the Word of God. And if, if pastor's speaking on it, or it comes up in a Bible study, we've, we figured our ways to kind of finagle around or tune out or whatever it might ever be so that that light doesn't affect us. And we're hardening ourselves from being sensitive to His Word. Now, guys, imagine imagine if we took this word and we ripped it away and you didn't have it. And imagine you didn't have the ministering activity of the Holy Spirit. Where would you be? There is a sense in which when you and I hide our sin from the light of God's word, that is exactly what we are trying to do. I don't want the word, and Holy Spirit, I don't want your ministry in my life. And what I want to do is continue doing my sin. Leave me alone. And every time we do that, we're hardening ourselves to the God that we reached out to and said, yes, I need you. I want you. I am helpless without you. But when anyone comes to the true light, when faith in the the glorious gospel takes place in the heart of man, His faith will be clearly seen. His temperament will change. His attitudes will adjust. His pursuits and goals will soften to God's will. His loves and priorities will be rearranged. All of this will be the result of the works being carried out by, or out in God, I should say. In other words, they are progressively being sanctified by God at work in their lives. Now listen, it is only the Holy Spirit working through the Word that comes to you and says, listen, that one thing that that you've been told that you have that is a disease is actually not a disease, it's sin in your life. It's only the Holy Spirit that does that. It's only the Holy Spirit at work through the Word of God that comes to you and says, listen, the problem isn't your environment. The problem isn't your family. The problem isn't the fact that you're living in these circumstances. The problem is that you do not have your heart oriented to me, and that lack of having your heart oriented to me is sin. And what you need to do is come humbly and allow the light 
to shine, to reveal it, so that you can confess it and you can get realigned and get back with God and look to him where he is so that you can live your life for his glory. It's only the Holy Spirit that's active through his word that can do those things. He, he also is the, the reason that we can say that we are responsible before God. And we recognize that we need his help and that we need his word. We need the spirit of God and his work in our lives. And so let me just, let me just finish up with just three encouragement thoughts. And this is nothing, nothing incredibly profound, but it's just taking the things that we've talked about a little bit here and just, I want to challenge you in a couple of areas because I know it's the end of the year and you have opportunity to think about, you know, what that new year looks like. If, if we have seen in this passage that, that this right here is really important, would you agree with that? Okay, so here's encouragement number one. Seek to establish a steady habit of reading and digesting Scripture. You have a great opportunity you know, culturally, we do New Year's resolutions or something like that. As you look at the next calendar year, what's your habit going to be? What's your practice going to be? What does it look like for you to pick up the Word of God, to, to read it, not out of legalistic duty, but out of a hunger and a desire to be fed and encouraged and strengthened by God who speaks to us by His Holy Spirit through His Word. If it is sitting on your nightstand and you're not using it, maybe you just grab it to come to church and even then you don't open it up because you have handouts that have the text in it. Friends, you're not allowing the word of God to feed you and I just want to encourage you, be diligent to put some kind of a plan together. Don't, don't overextend yourself so that you get discouraged. All right? but have a plan of intake of the Word of God. It can be a plan of reading. It can be a plan of, of feeding, which means you know, I, I'm taking a passage or a verse or, or a thought and I'm meditating on it. I'm memorizing some things about it, but I'm, I'm, just, I'm feeding on it. I, I, I'm, 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 just, I'm just enjoying it. I'm getting as much as I can out of it. Friends, we, I know it's a Sunday school answer. I know it's a Sunday school response. You know, read your Bible. But friends... Read your Bible. There's a reason why it's pushed and it's taught in those younger years because it's a habit that um, we, we all need to make sure that we are established in. Secondly, continuing with the Sunday School answer, pray with greater understanding concerning the unique roles of the Godhead. You say, what do you mean by that? Um, Pray concerning the sacrifice that Jesus gave on the cross. In other words, contemplate what he has done. Meditate on it, but meditate it in such a way that you're interacting with God. God, if, if you did this for me, if, 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 if you died on the cross in my place, in my place means something to me. You have done and affected some things in my life. And I'm just saying, you're interacting with God on that. God, you, you love me, but, but I, there's nothing in me that is lovable. And God's like, I know. That was a joke. Yeah, I'm just, <laughs> but you know, the, the, the reality is, and it, you know, it might take a while to catch, but the reality is that, that, that God wants you to interact with him on the level of his activity in your life. 
you know, be, be praying, say, oh, I, God, I want the Holy Spirit, I want your Holy Spirit to, to show me, to guide me, and to, to give me wisdom and direction. And he tells you that he will. So, so just take these dynamics that we've seen here in this passage of, of the Godhead and, and allow them to be a part of your prayer. And we so easily get into our ruts of prayer, don't we? And it's good to be praying. It's good to have the habit of prayer. But I just want to encourage you, bring the Godhead in, in, in their unique roles into that prayer time. Um, and the third thing is share the love of the Father um, expressed through the sacrifice of the Son and understood through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And simply in just taking all of what we've looked at to here and said, you know what, people, people, people might be able to connect with the love of God. But you and I know that, that that message of, you know, God is love is just so bleh and weak and, and kind of, you know, flabby and, and nothingness unless it's connected with what is that love, Right? And how is that love expressed and what does it look like? And so this love of God is expressed in this passage by the sending of his son. But it's not just the fact that he sent his son. It's the fact that he sent his son ultimately to die. And then what are the implications of that death? And so as, as you have opportunity to, to share the gospel, I'm saying share the love of the Father, but understand as you're sharing, connect that love with the realities of what that love looks like. The sacrifice of the Son, then ultimately the gift and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. People are longing for direction. And they're longing for a direction that, that, will, that, is, that, that is daily, rather than just some principle that someone wrote in some you know, Wall Street Journal or something like that. The Holy Spirit gives us unique daily instruction if we are allowed allowing him to have his, work, his way and his work in our lives. Now, friends, you must be born again. God has sent his son, and he has been lifted up. The son of man must be lifted up, and he has been lifted up. The question is, will you and I respond? I believe, by faith, in all that he has done, and trust that in embracing the sacrifice that took place on the cross for our sins, that we then have new life in him. That is the gift of life that God gives us, that he reveals to us from this encounter with Nicodemus. Lord, help us today to embrace all of these truths, to, to begin to see, Lord, how they are at work in our lives. But Lord, help us to understand that the avenue, the, the, the vehicle through which you want us to grow, Lord, is your word and is your spirit at work in that word. And so, Lord, help us not to neglect the important discipline, joy, practice, longing, love of reading and meditating and feeding on your word. And then, Lord, help us to be mindful of this new life that we have in you. Lord, we have done nothing to deserve it. We have done nothing to receive it except for respond, Lord, to the, the grace and the love that ex is extended to us. Lord, we who have believed have the promise that we will not perish, but we will have eternal life. And we thank you, Lord, that you sent your Son into this world 
not to condemn it because it was already condemned. Lord, we were already condemned, but Lord, to save us. And Lord, help us to today and over this next week or so, Lord, to marvel that Christmas is not simply about a baby in a manger, but it's about what that baby was sent to do. And Lord, if we are your children, we can rejoice that we have been the objects of your favor and your grace. Help us to rest in that, Lord, we ask in your precious holy name. Amen.